Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? You might be on board. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm, I, I, it was, it's a rough day for, uh, I I learned something very, um, unsettling, which is that 30% of the most, the world's most notorious serial killers were Virgos. You know, I kind of knew that because they always have these Facebook posts about what serial killers are. They're Virgos. Well, that's because they're perfectionists. Uh, well, I'll say this. I, On the one hand, I'm going to say I'm doing great. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not a serial killer. Because <laughs> I'm not a serial killer. In fact, I haven't even killed one person, much less multiple. And, you know, I like I was trying to bring myself to like – what is it? And I think it may be perfectionism, but really what I think it is, I sometimes just have this feeling of, I like, I can't access my empathy sometimes. Mm, I, so, I actually have a similar thing. Okay. Sometimes I'm just like, this is objectively terrible with this, you know, and I feel nothing. I feel like I don't care at all. It's not... Co- or maybe that that's always there, but I tend to my, I don't really know what it, what it, I don't exactly know the mechanism of it. I just know that I, in my worst moments, I, I, I find it difficult to access my empathy. So I, I hear that. And, you know, in my worst moments, I take pleasure in other people's pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a similar thing, but it's not a blank thing. It's more of a, it's more of an active uh, aggression thing. So that's interesting. People are going to be listening, and be like, "You both need real help." Like, <laughs> yes, we, we real. need to be locked. We need to be locked up. But not, not like, um, yeah, it's weird. I, I, I can, I can, I can totally relate to feeling like I should have empathy and I just can't access this. But here's the thing, here's the thing too. I think if you have a childhood, right, that where you or I or whoever um, is not allowed, doesn't get a lot of empathy, then why are, how are we expected to learn to be super empathetic to other people's shit? Like it just doesn't make any sense. And we've tried, we've done a lot of work on ourselves to create that sort of, um, to, to work that muscle, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Also people are fucking annoying. (laughs) Well, and I, there's another part of it too, which is that um, my instinct or my intuition about, dishonesty is so uh, way probably too finely tuned so even if somebody is expressing a real pain but they're amping it up for whatever reason Mm. I I feel that I immediately just can feel that and and therefore I I just don't have the like 
and, and my husband and and two of my kids are such intense empaths. Mm-hmm. They are just constantly like, oh, you know, this is terrible, and that, and they feel. But it's wonderful when they do it for each other. You know, they're really validating of each other's pain. Whereas me and the other one who's kind of like me are sort of like, yeah, I mean, whatever. You fell, <laughs> you fell down. Big, like, get up. Which is a combination of you know, how I was raised and just sort of it fits with my temperament too. And my dad was a Virgo. Oh, so that's right. It's inter- yeah. It's interesting to think about his Dennis the Virgo. Level. Yeah. Yeah. Your blog so, was so great, Beans. Oh, thank you. Everybody thank you. look at the blog. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so, your writing is, it's just getting, it, it, I can see like leaps and bounds of like, how much it's progressed and um just how detailed it's really like detailed like yeah that's the thing i i like the most about things i write and things i read is that level of specificity specificity that's it totes specificity yep yeah so anyway what's going on with you well so you know I'm I'm reading about artist management, not just for my fantasy about yes. my neighbors, but but more but for yourself. Also, yes, and us as a as a because who knows with them? I mean, you know, God bless them. They're ch- they're kids. I'm not gonna. But I did get this book, and it is teaching me. It's called you know, it's literally called uh, artist management for the music business, but it applies to any business, and it's just taught because it's like that quite I think it speaks to me because it's like I'm sick of waiting for someone else to manage me as a writer or to manage us as a writing duo and trying to hit people up and so it's like wait a second wait a second I think it comes from a place of trying to take back ownership as well of like no 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 no. I can manage myself I can manage us as a duo like let me learn there's some tricks and tips and things about business in there but it's important I think to take owner I think this is for me a year of like taking ownership of all my shit and all the good stuff and all the wonky stuff and saying no man I can I can learn on my own you're not going to help me okay well I'm going to help myself so that's what I'm doing and as I've continued watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I can say you you and Kris Jenner have something in common. Um, and it's this perfect blend of being so, so, so connected and, and empathic and kind and savvy, just really savvy and sort of shrewd. So, so I think that's you can good. go far as a manager. I, well, I, I want to manage. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. And I also hope that it, that it calms down the part of me that feels I need someone else to come in and save or fix me or help me in a way. And look, we all need help, but there is a, there, and I had this as an actor at the theater school. It was like, if someone just discovered me if someone just took me under their wing and me and championed me in a way but when I say championed the sort of underdeveloped part of me means be my mother I mean like let's be Mm -hmm. honest like Mm -hmm. that's what Mm -hmm. I'm really talking about um when it gets to that intense needy grabby kind of feeling that's what I'm looking for and my mother never was able to do that and she's dead now and it's never good if your mom's your manager anyway as an adult. So like, let's yeah, put that to right. But that's where I right. think it comes from. Yeah, like, that makes perfect sense to me. You just want to, and yeah, every, I mean, that that's the th- single hardest thing about having parents who aren't that mature is like this need that you 
what you have as a child is a real very important need to be taken care of you just never get that you just never ever get that because even when you're in a situation with a person who loves you and you're in a committed relationship there is a part of you that never trusts anybody else to take care of you so you make i mean you know that's fine taking care of yourself is fine but that there isn't a really innate need that people like us have you, you know just it's just a very basic thing like you just really weren't cared for enough in your childhood yeah and and there's that book that's like um i remember even as a kid really relating to it there's a book about a duckling that goes up to every animal and says are you my mother are you my mother yeah mm-hmm. and uh, that book touched me a deep core in me and i still i should take a look at it and like revisit it and see how it still feels but i remember being like that's how i feel what i felt like was that the mother the the mother either it wasn't in the story or whatever what didn't make a big enough deal about the little baby coming back that's true that's true yeah she was just like oh hey Instead of like, Mm -hmm. where have you been? I missed you. What are you doing? You know, like, of course I'm your mother. That was missing. And that was what was missing in my life. This is getting deep with ducklings and like. Did I ever tell you about the, have we ever discussed on the podcast or otherwise, I guess, um, the children's book, I Love You Forever? Mm -mm. All right. There is a children's book and it's a real litmus test. If you ask somebody if they know about this book, how they feel about it says a lot. Okay. It's a story of a little boy and the it, the mother is saying, and it goes from the time the child is a baby, like, I'll love you forever. I'll never, the, the message on every page is I'll never stop loving you, even when you do this, even when you do that. Oh. And it goes all the way through to the, the son is an adult and he's living in his own house with his own family. And she comes to his house while he's sleeping in the middle of the night to cradle him. Oh my God. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever witnessed, heard in my life. So there, so there you go. Now I know how you feel about that. See I mean, that story to me, that story to me is, is so creepy. I, yeah, I, it is I'm creepy, like, but the way you said it was kind of not creepy. Like, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it, maybe it's something about, re- no. I, and by the way, it's not a judgment either way. If, if right. you feel creeped out by it, or if you don't feel creeped out, it's just very interesting. Well, I also don't know why she's getting in the bed. She gets in the bed. Yeah. No, no, that part I don't go for, but I like the Paul Simon part of, you know, uh, um, in the song, it, there was a, a, a man, he had a son. He, he, you know, he travels all the way back to tell him all the things for the reasons for the things he's done. And he gets there and then he sees the, the, the kid sleeping or the boy sleeping and just instead just turns around and leaves basically. Mm-hmm. And that's basically, that is more sentimental to me, but, but yeah, I think it's good that she, I feel like it is beautiful that she has the impulse to tell him, I don't think she should get in the bed, but okay. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know what? I, it would be a gorgeous story if at the end, yeah, just like what you're saying, she, she, first of all, maybe if like he call, calls yes. for her, he calls her, but also if, yeah, she gets there and, and she says, okay, well, he's in his house with his family. My my job here is done. Is done. So my it's job like an like overbearing mom. Overbearing yeah, my job mom. of literally cradling you is done. But my, or, you know, 
Or the other thing is like the way that story might be more beautiful to me is if I thought you were going to say, because of my experience with my mom, that the, that the mom gets sick. And right before she dies, she says to the son, I will love you forever. And then drops dead because that would be. See, now that would, that would be very touching to me. It's, it's fine until you. Something, the boundary, it's the The boundary boundary issue. Right. That's I think that's what it kicks off for me is like that's bad boundary boundaries. Issues. That's really bad boundaries. <laughs> funny. Very funny. I very by the way, funny. speaking of my blog, I I'm very nervous about whether or not uh certain of my family members have read it and what they might think. This is a very tough thing about personal writing. You really have to watch tread this very fine line. And um I can see why people, you know, struggle with this and wait until people and their families are dead to you know, to write about it. I know. It. It's much easier to do a solo show about your family when half of them are dead. Hey, let me run this by you. So let me run this by you. Okay. I want to, okay, we had an experience with a friend who, you know, is going somewhere in their career and is being advised to, you know, boost themselves up by surrounding themselves with doing their work with influencers. Oh yes. Which makes perfect sense to me. I I imagine that's probably in the artist management book. You know, you've got to, you've got to basically leverage people to level up yourself and that's just good, bad, or indifferent. That's just what it is. Um, and it's interesting because this person was saying to us, you know, we're, we're having to do all this work with influencers, and it doesn't really feel like it's working. And we, I mean, I don't know what they mean by that. But I just started thinking, yeah, things do start to fall apart in something that you love that's creative, when you have to alter it for the sure money money of it all. And then in a broader sense, it just made me wonder, like, where is influencer culture going? You know, we can only have so many YouTube stars, right? Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fame and whatever has to be, you know, a very tiny subset of the population. Everybody can't be famous. Mm -mm. So where is it go? I mean, is it just like there's infinite room for influencers and there's infinite money now, and I think it's going to peter out. I I think what's going to happen is I do. I don't think we can sustain this level of vapidness. I, I I just don't think it's sustainable. It can sustain for a while, but I think that influencer culture is going to peter out and it's going to be more of um it's going to I think watch we'll listen to this and be like, "Oh my god, Jen was ridiculously off." But <laughs> that it's going to swing back to more organic authentic culture i think Mm -hmm. it has to because we can't this is you know it's un it's absurd to cater a whole uh business or a whole mission statement towards people that have no skill other than they're famous honestly and i I really wonder about how these people get their money. Like the uh, one my daughter's obsessed with is it's actually like a very lovely thing. It's a guy called Mr. Beast who gives away 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like his videos are all about giving away. Like I saw she was watching one where he had to give he okay, no, he sometimes it's that he gives away the money and other times it's that he makes it a challenge for somebody else to give something away and he oh. only, and that person only wins a certain amount of money if they like this one he had this kid who was in high school. He had to give away he had two hours to give away 300 cars. So he had to call and get 300 people to come and and take these cars. And I'm like, yeah, but where did he get the money to do that? He's like 20 and he's in his early 20s. doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the very beginning of it was, but it's YouTube. It's YouTube sponsorship. It's YouTube dollars that allow him to then give more money that allow him to get more money. You know, so he's, he's making his bank off of that, but things like he bought his uh, brother, a new house. And the way that he uh, set, set that off as a surprise was that he filled his brother's old house with elephant toothpaste. Like he had these, uh, machines that were and video uh, cameras linked up to watch that were shooting elephant toothpaste. So that and then it just expanded and it was just all this green foam coming out yeah, of his house. Yeah, no. And no. everybody's laughing like, "Oh, this is so great!" And then he got a new house, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, but he just wasted this other yeah. house." And he wasted <laughs> ele- elephant toothpaste. And for God's sake, there could be a, sh- a crisis. But yeah, no, I think that it's interesting that he that that. This, this guy, Mr. Beast, he is mixing like a do-gooder thing with with excess culture and influencer culture. It's real weird. But I think we're swinging back towards helping. I, I hope maybe this is just wishful thinking of like swinging back. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I also learned, uh, forget something other podcast I was listening to. Uh, uh, I heard the whole Kylie Jenner billionaire thing talked about and have a little more clarity. I don't have all my questions answered, okay. but it, it was a joke put all out there by a comedian, oh. uh, a problematic comedian called the oh. fat Jewish who apparently steals everybody. Oh yeah. I've heard yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I still don't know is did he get money and what did he do with it? So mm. he's a shady guy. So maybe. So it was kind of what I was saying. I had originally thought that whoever it was just got the money and then used it for, you know, for themselves. But yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's not sustainable. We can't no. keep going in this direction. We just can't. There's not, you said it, there's not, there's not enough resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so kids, if you want to be an influencer, TikTok, you, oh, no pun intended, but you have very little oh, time yeah. left, I think, on, on this uh, influencer landscape before also, it all. Like, like, get a job. Get I, a I mean, job. that's so Just easy get for a me job. to say, but it's like, what? go to college, go to college, learn I think it's important. how to do something. Even if you job. go to theater school, even if you go to freaking conservatory, go get a degree, go learn something, go be weird in college and learn some social skills. There you go. All right, we have-
Today on the podcast, we're talking with Kevin Fox. Kevin Fox was an acting major at the theater school at DePaul University. And when he graduated, he went on to continue to do theater. And he's also a a director and he has a solo show and it went to uh, the Fringe Festival. And he has a podcast. He does many things. He's one of which is incredible, incredible impersonations of people. He's just a delight to talk to. So please enjoy our conversation with Kevin Fox to start though congratulations kevin fox you survived theater school thank you thank you you you, did you're working your butt off yeah you're working your whole entire butt off uh yeah i'm I'm gonna i'm always trying to work it off it's really about (laughs) butt management that's really what it is they they that was like a course they taught later at the theater school they started teaching butt management mm-hmm. and um i think it's going i failed well. i failed that oh. i failed that class but. yeah okay so wait but, uh, kevin right before you came on i was just telling boz i was just listening listening to your podcast oh my god thank and, you and and i listened i only heard the first 10 minutes of your interview with Otto. oh yeah high school <laughs> Boz, you, you, you have what? to listen to this. Here's some choice quotes. I start my day off with astrophysics. <laughs> I didn't realize he was in high school. <laughs> he, he, says, he asked him about what instrument he plays. He says, he plays baritone sax. I feel like it's the most casual sax. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. You interviewed a high schooler? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he said, uh, I... This is the most laid back gym class. He <laughs> sounds like um, Christian Slater. He has like a Christian Slater in Heather's cadence to him. He's he's a very cool cat. Jen, do you know what this show is? It's called what? what it, there's a swear word in it, right? It is. Are we? Do we want yeah, to not yeah. swear on this show? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, okay. you, yeah, you can swear. It's called How the Fuck Do You Do That? And then, but then I put little signs in the word fuck. And it's it's me talking to people about how they how they do their jobs and also like really getting into like state of mind when you are doing your job. Because uh, my interest in this started with thinking about how bizarre it is to be on stage and there are there's several realities happening in the mind of an actor. Uh, we're, we're, we're in several plays in addition to the one that we're actually doing. And what a, what a weird way to, what a weird way to spend your time to learn how to do that. And then I'm also interested in like, how does that, how does that form you as a person when you, when you do a thing for a while, um, how does that? I, that is fantastic. I can't wait to hear. I saw it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was like, I want to know what's going on in the mind of a high school student today. Um, but how did you pick that? I mean, do you know him? So uh, I had I'd been doing my show for a while and I was at a, uh, a rock concert at Metro. And uh, I know his mom uh, in she's in the business. And his mom was there with her husband, who is his dad and him. They took him to this show, and I was like, "This is a cool fucking family!" Oh my god, dude! Anybody who names their kid Otto is I, already interesting. Um, I will tell you that Otto is not his name; it is oh. his chosen oh. pseudonym. Oh. Uh, okay, okay. There is a there. There is a want reason, to blow shit up. There's a reason why he he chose that. That has to do with like a joke in their family, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, anyway, check out Kevin's podcast. How the fuck? Do you do that? 
which is based so so you're like obsessed with studs turkle or something is that why you have a well show with that that's about that so obsession is uh not maybe maybe the word i would use so um i mean it's it's sexual uh definitely my interest in studs turkle but um, but I think obsession's taking it too. I was like, we are really going down a rabbit hole this morning. My obsession is sexual with stud circle is something I never thought I'd hear in a million years. Yeah. But I love it. Okay, keep going. Um, so you stud circle is is the jam. I wouldn't know about sexually, but yes. Um so yeah, my first experience with uh I'm no, experience is not the right word to use. For what we're talking about. Um, it's too late. You're all in no, this I metaphor. Saw, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. So I saw uh, <laughs> Betsy Hamilton directed working. And um, that was my first exposure to Studs Terkel. And then I read, uh, you know, I auditioned for adaptations of a book he did called Race. And then I, I really got into listening to him on the radio and was really interested I liked the idea that he wanted to talk to regular people. And uh, I've since always felt like, oh, talking to famous people is kind of dumb. Like, it's really hard to hear an interview with a famous person, especially now, where they're talking about anything other than fame. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What, what was that like? What was that like being like, so you got like this lead and it's like, what was that like? Like, oh, How did you get that? Everybody's, like, always, everybody's always like, I auditioned. So I love the idea of talking to regular people and, and talking about jobs, uh, you know, working is, is about that. And the idea of like creating characters from, regular people's jobs uh, was a seed for me. And then I directed this play called Huey um, by Eugene O'Neill, which is a one act. And it was kind of inspired. He, he was going to do a series of nine short plays that were all based on the idea of an occupation. And he wanted them to be regular, uh, regular people jobs. So this first one, Huey, was a night clerk. Um, it was it was centered on the idea of this night clerk and sort of a rundown, used to be fam- fancy hotel. And um, then there was going to be one about a May. There was a series of nine, but he passed away before he finished it. But I worked on that play and I loved the idea of getting in the mind of this character, Charlie. Um, how loud is that noise for you guys? It, don't worry about okay, it. Don't worry about it. Um, you're going to hear a baby occasionally as well. Um, oh, cool. oh I hope it's your baby. It is. It is. Okay. <laughs> People say he looks like me enough that I'm like, yeah, he's mine. Okay. Yeah, he's yours. Okay. All right. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> I loved getting in the mind of that character. There's all this. There's all this stillness in that play, and I loved. Um, as the director, I got to choose, like, we are just spending time with you. You are completely out to lunch in this moment. And that's all we're doing. You're looking out the window and you're thinking about how fucking boring your life is right now. And we're, we're just going to sit with you in that for a minute. And I love that. And, and it's so neat. Right. Pardon the interruption. I survived theater school listeners and pardon the poor audio quality of this recording. I am making this recording from a room in a house where I do not live, in a town where I do not live, in a somewhat difficult circumstance. I am editing this episode of our podcast, 
and we had quite a lot of technical difficulties with Kevin's audio, which were not discovered in enough time to re-record with Kevin. And in any case, we had such a great conversation that we didn't want to re-record. But that is why I am here in this random room without my good audio equipment, pausing to tell you that the next part of this interview is going to sound disjointed and there's no way to cover it up or make it sound better or pretend like it didn't happen. And in a way, I guess that's okay because it did happen. And lots of really weird things have happened to me in the last several days. So it makes sense to me that this would be the next one. Anyway, we'll be picking up this interview. It's still excellent after this. It just may seem out of context. Um, you, you always have to go with, you know, well, what, what do the words say? But if you're looking to really flesh out what the inner life of a character is, it's so fun. It's a fun inroad to think about, well, what if, what if I was in um, heavy machinery construction six days a week for 20 years? How does it change my body? How does it change my mind? Wow. How does it change my relationship to sound? You know, if you're constantly having to muffle sound, like all those things are so interesting to me. Um, and so also in fucking theater school, um, I knew it was in Jim O's class in um, the last year. Uh, I guess, was his class called Exit or was his class called something else? I feel like Bill's was called Exit and Jim O's was called Making You Feel Better. Making you feel bad about Making yourself. Making you cry uh, in, on yeah. the inside because he hit you if he did it on the outside. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awkward, awkward conversations with Jim. Yeah. Um, but it was, there were some great questions asked in that class. And I, um, you know, not my favorite, maybe demeanor always, but I really appreciated his conviction to like answer this fucking question for yourself. This is important. You think you know everything, but really think about this. I like those questions. And one of the things I wrote down in some exercise was, in his class was, I have a one-man show in me. I don't really know what it is, but I know I'm going to do a one-man show. I know I'm going to write and perform a one-man show one day, and I don't know what it is. But it's a, it's something I know I'm going to do. And um, I had a few things like kind of um, is the, when they come together with the rivers confluence. Yes. Is that the or word? Convergence so. maybe. Convergence confluence. It was a con of some kind. Sure. These, some things came together and um, uh, I had a story about a tour that I was on that I had already written about a couple times. It, it is a batshit crazy experience. Uh, and I knew I had so many details from it because I had already written about it, including in the moment and years later. Um, and there was a, a moment in my life in 2018 where I realized, oh, this is the show. And it was a connection between how my experience on that tour changed me and how being an actor, like I, I had a, you know, kind of um, – a different level of awareness of what doing this for so long has done to me, both positive and negative. And, and also uh, an awareness of what somebody else's job who's close to me had done to them. 
And um, are you saying it was a touring show or you went on a like a tourist? Yeah, tour? it was a Shakespeare. It was a Shakespeare tour. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a tour from hell. It was. Okay. I had horrendous. one of those. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, all right. <clears throat> so, so you, so your one man show is about that. It's about how jobs change people over time. So I created, I created the character of a sociologist and then the sociologist introduced the concept of what this is and about professional deformation. And then he talks about his research and then he presents, um, depending on which version of the show, five, six, seven different people, um, all of whom I played. And they were, some of them were based on uh, direct interviews. Others were sort of common The people were combinations of that interview with this person. Um, and then it turns out that the characters um, insist that he has a relationship to this as well. And then he tells his own story. Oh, cool. Um, that's so cool. And that's, and that's the, uh, that's the show and drinking and unemployment is a joke that the, uh, that the actor makes. So the act, one of the tent poles of the show is the story of this crazy fucking tour and um, his uh, drinking unemployment is that anyway, the, the reason for the title gets revealed um, gets revealed later in the show. And this show is going to be in the French festival, right? It was last year and it's just still on my email tag because <sighs> I never changed it because what else am I promoting? I, I just left so, it. So it's it was there. last year, meaning it happened in the pandemic? 2019. Oh, okay. 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 Um, oh, yeah. Cause we're in, we're in, two, we're well into 2021 now, Kevin. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. We seriously are. How, what, what, how was that experience? You went to Scotland and did your show. It was a dream come true. And like all dreams come true. Um, there was all kinds of parts of it. I, I hadn't thought about and thought like, Oh, that would be an issue. Um, like you don't like haggis very much. <laughs> I did not have any haggis. Uh, I tried it once when I was there 20 years ago and that was, Enough. I was, I was all set up. So, um, yeah. What kind of things I'm, I'm, I had a one person show that went to New York and like I, when I did that, so many things came up that I was like, Oh, marketing. Oh, people. I had, a, yeah. I had like that kind of thing going on, but, but tell me about your one person show in Scotland. Uh, like the things that were like, Oh, I didn't think of that. So I didn't think about how like strategy of venue. Um, I was kind of late to getting my venue. So I didn't have the, um, the selection that I would have liked and where I should have been is what they call uh, uh, maybe they call it free fringe or there's a couple different, there's a couple different umbrellas that you can sort of be under, but basically people come to the show for free you give a speech at the end and they, they tip you and you actually, you don't pay for the space and they don't pay to see your show. And it, for a one person show, many people will tell you like, dude, you have to do that. You will come out so much better in the end. Um, And all those slots were gone. So I was late getting a slot. And what I didn't really understand was that the, the presenter that I was working with, was except for me entirely presenting stand-up. And so I was in a, a multi-space venue as, as almost all of them are. <clears throat> there were stand-ups. I was the first one of the day at 4.40, but it was all stand-ups after me. There were stand-ups going on around me. So I would have laughs from other people's wow. show come into my room. And 
when people saw the title of the show, the title was a big hit. People thought the title was really fucking funny. Um, and over there, they don't know who Studs Terkel is. So over there, it was called Drinking and Unemployment, a play about work. Um, well, pretty funny. Yeah, oh, I like okay. it. I like yeah. it. Um, so people love the title, but also people would think it was stand-up because of who the presenter was, because the, the, it's a popular presenter who's been there forever and they do stand up. And I just didn't, I wasn't quite clued into that. And they would show up uh, drunk uh, at, at 4.40. I thought if I'm before dinner, I'm going to be okay. And my thing wasn't stand up. Like it was a play and it was a full 70 minutes of one dude. Thing about a one person show is you're not going to surprise him with another person. Uh, <laughs> I surprise them with me. say it again just me you're like it's just me again it's me Still. just the guy on the postcard there um, <laughs> I mean I had lots of different dialects which were super fun uh, but it really was just me and then like ooh a coat this time ooh a different glass were, you, were they heckling you? Uh, no but like you could literally smell the alcohol sometimes mm, mm-hmm, or people would mm-hmm. bring in like they would be drunk and have like fried food leftovers with them in the front row. Um, But some people just love the show and were totally tuned into it. But the, like the biggest surprise was, Oh, this is the wrong venue. Right. It was also a way too big room. Like I needed to be in a 40 seat room where it could be really intimate. I did the show 30 times in Chicago in different places, in different bars and art galleries, and it works really well when people are right there and I can really see people's eyes. And this is a more cavernous room. Um, so that that wasn't my favorite thing. And also, like, the press is so, so stupid. People, press starts um, soliciting you to pay them to come to your show. That's a, oh. that's a thing that was happening. And, like, it's so hard to get them to come and then – Papers will send people who are totally unqualified. They'll send right. like a pop music critic to see an avant-garde show. I mean, just stupid shit like that. Um, huh. That isn't ideal. But so those are the like, oh, yeah, yeah. I would do this differently next time. Yeah. The spirit of it is incredible. I loved seeing the shows. I saw some unforgettable shows. I loved being surrounded by like everybody was there for for the love of the game. I mean, very few people are making money there. Everybody is there to celebrate something and the weirder it is, the more at home it sort of feels there. Um, And I love Scottish dialects and I love dialects in general and being surrounded by people from all over the world. Really, really cool. That, I mean, that's a, that would be a a dream come true. That would be a fantastic uh, experience. I can imagine a fun fact about studs Turkle. He interviewed Dr. Bella and Joe, Slowick and mm-hmm. that interview is available through the what's it called the the, the, the history museum in Chicago. It's, yeah, I forget what it's called. History of something. Historical Society. Society. Chicago something. Historical yeah. Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was very good. Um, I also saw a musical version of Working that made me wish I had never been born. It was the one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life, and it was very. <laughs> insulting somehow I I I I, I I I really couldn't make heads or tails of it but um I love the book I went to see it because I love the book in any case enough about studs trickle so let's hear more about you and how you ended up at 
a conservatory, how you picked DePaul, where you're yeah. from, did you act um, in high school, blah, blah, blah. I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. I started doing, um, I broke my, I was a baseball player and I broke my wrist in a game and then ended up uh, playing a role. Like somebody talked me into playing like a one line role in a play and then started doing plays and then got much more into it in high school. And then I started going to this, um, uh, what do they call it? Like a magnet school, a drama class at a magnet school. And this teacher, like the way she talked about it and um, she was just like warm and inviting in terms of um, how, how much more there was um, in theater and in the art of acting. And I got really attached to it and to that class. It became very important to me. And uh, she was she was really well informed about how to, you know, if you want to pursue this um, in terms of a program in college, she was really well informed about that. And we kind of talked about goals and she took me to, there's a showcase at a, it was a ball state. It was some kind of conference. It was, I forget what the name of it was, but she took me one year just to, just to see it. I mean, there would be a group of kids that would go every year and they would sometimes be doing a show, but I went, I went along one year just to see it and see what the audition setup was like. Cause you could audition for a bunch of colleges at once. And then, um, <clears throat> like I did a, uh, a technical internship at a, um, at a summer theater just to, she was like, you should know this and programs might be interested that you wanted to, uh, expand your knowledge that you, you know, just want to act. Yeah. Wow. What um, a great teacher. And I, I love, I thought it was really fascinating. It didn't make me want to go into tech, but I was really glad I had that time that I, that I spent real time on that side of things. Uh, so then I went and auditioned and I met uh, John Bridges and Melissa Meltzer and um, Oh my God, I can see her face. Jen. Jen. Hmm. Hmm. Jen and she Jen. She often had like something yeah, fun going on her hair, about. some fun oh. piercings. Oh yeah. Jen, um, wasn't it Jen Smith? No, terrible. Jen. Jen, I know yeah. who you're talking about. Yep, she had she had crazy hair. Yes. That's okay. And also I loved those people that I, I met them and so that was it, DePaul became one of the schools I was looking at. And I literally took a bus to go to SUNY purchase and um otterbein and depaul and then somewhere in uh evansville indiana i think i took a greyhound from Asheville mm -hmm. and like went to those places and auditioned and met with oh people oh my and, gosh um uh, i love the idea of uh like conservatory just seemed like it's it's so crazy but that sounds like it would be really fun. I would, I would like the deep dive and there was, you know, some liberal arts requirements. Um, and my parents were, uh, they were not, they weren't unsupportive, but they were very questioning. And, and my favorite question that every adult thinks is original, like, but what are you going to fall back on? Um, and um, right. my feeling then and now is the more you flesh out your plan of what you're going to fall back on, the more sure you can be that that is where you're going to go. Um, and, uh, and that was, mm -hmm. 
that's why I wasn't really like I didn't question it. I should have questioned it. It's it's what a silly what a what a crazy choice to make. Um, well, what a crazy choice to make is taking a greyhound. I was by uh, myself alone. Yeah, were you alone? Yeah. I would never let my daughter teenager. do that. Oh my my God. 16-year-old was daughter. I did it when I was uh, 16 and 17. It was somewhere in there. I, I can't imagine letting my daughter do that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I, 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 but that's, yeah. but you and did got, it. And you my did parents it. You lived were not interested in paying for it. We were lower middle class. And, um, and I even, one of the schools even like offered me actual money to, to go there. Like, you know, we're going to cover it. And I didn't think I'd be able to afford it, Paul, but I got an, I got zero talent scholarship money. I just want to make very clear. I never benefited from that. Um, uh, but I got a f- full academic scholarship. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Good for you. You so, did? That's hey, awesome. I didn't even know that existed. I wouldn't because uh, I wasn't an academically yeah. So I was like, person, well, I guess it's, I guess it's so meant cool. to be that. I guess I'm going to go do it. Yeah. How cool. So uh, you had done acting in high school, but how did that compare with what it was actually like in the training there? We talk a lot about how doing plays in high school doesn't mean you have any idea what you're getting into. It was completely, completely different. I mean, it was in the Magnus school, it was much. In the Magnus school was much more. uh, you know, interesting and like less kind of below the surface stuff uh, than my high school program was, but n- none of it was close to what theater school was. It was all new. So were you like the guy wearing jeans and yoga or were you more like, no, I can roll with it and I'm going to, I'm going to, I know what this is and I'm going to go for it at Paul. Okay, so the guy wearing jeans in yoga is like the guy who wears jeans and a belt in yoga because they have no idea what the hell yoga right. is. And they think yoga is some kind of Middle Eastern food, maybe. And they go, they show up hungover, smelling of beer or, or not, not necessarily, but could be hungover and, and maybe are wearing a flannel shirt in yoga. You are thinking day. of a very specific person <laughs> right now. And I know who the person is. So I'm just wondering were you that or were you like me who's like oh yeah i've heard the term yoga so i'm gonna pretend like i know what yoga is and i'll wear some sweatpants i still have no idea and i'm still petrified or maybe um, you were your own brand of let's Kevin see Fox. we, we had our version of the, of the jeans guy but i mean a, a couple people like that they didn't actually wear jeans but but i now i understand what you mean by the jeans guy i wasn't the jeans guy i was um i had read somewhere you need to have like in one of the syllabus like you know, you need to have movement appropriate, whatever. And I was like, well, I got to go get some movement pants. And at some yes. store, I got two, two pairs of pants, which I, I mean, I wore them completely out at school because I wore them for any kind of class where there, there might, I mean, I wore them to voice class. Sometimes I wore them to all my movement classes and I wore them to yoga. Um, if I don't know, like I would wear shorts sometimes to yoga. I figured out like, oh, this pair of shorts is okay. Um, but they were, I mean, they, I swear they weren't in the pajama section, yeah. but they were like thin and they were plaid and I became known for wearing them. Yes. 
I think I yeah. remember you wearing they were kind, them. They were kind of flowy. Yes, I remember you um, wearing them. Oh my god! But you know something, you're making me realize that men in the '90s, you did not have very many options. It's not like it is today, where there's a ton of like act athletes. Yeah, and I couldn't afford wore jeans or shorts yeah. or pajamas or like dance Any specialty dancing uh, pants. Where I could like never have afforded dancing. at the time. So it was like whatever I can move in is fine. Yeah. What about the cultural differences between North it Carolina so and much. Chicago? It was so much. Like to was live in a city, so Asheville at the you? time was, I mean, now um, you you can't get a house there, but uh, at the time it was extremely conservative, um, extremely old money. My drama teacher was literally chased out of town for directing the Lee Blessing play Independence that had lesbians in it just because there were lesbians in it. They chased her out of town. It was ridiculous. Um, so it was very... Um, oh, wow. Wow. That th- there was there was a uh, there was a small percentage of the town that was really into there was a music scene and there was like a crystal scene people come from all over the world to go to this for crystals and yeah um, but uh, but it was very small small town and the city was totally overwhelming but I did feel like this is all part of my education like just this this is happening and that is a guy and he is asking me for money and oh no oh this is happening this is the thing now this that's a real thing oh my god uh, hi uh <laughs> you know like i i had like full-on panic like what do i say and do I, like am i endangering myself here that person is really hurting and i am gonna cry and i am totally crying and i'm not giving him money because i don't have any money but i'm I'm just looking at this guy and I'm crying and saying, I'm so sorry. And I'll I'll look for you again. And like, it was the emotional impact of that was uh, a lot. And um, just like, you know, the kind of seedier side of this is literally 30 years ago now um, when I was here, like downtown, like when we were, we'd go to the Blackstone, like, uh, you know, it's different down there. Like Lincoln park is real nice. Um, and it, it was then it is now and, um, downtown mm-hmm. was different and like mm-hmm. being on the subway and being on the subway late, very intense. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think there are people who I now realize were gay in high school. I'm sure I didn't know of anybody who was like definitely gay and out. Uh, yeah, they they were. <clears throat> but they were in your drama class. Uh, it wasn't talked about. <laughs> um, and it was really cool to be in a place where there I, were, yeah. I loved, I've always um, wanted to be in a more diverse place. And I love being around more diversity. I loved the, I don't know what it is now, but at the time, DePaul's motto, like they made you go to a DePaul thing and it was like celebrate, de- celebrating diversity. And like we got yes. a, a shirt with a rainbow on it before like, there were rainbows everywhere all the time. That was like the logo of their motto. And there was a, you know, like it was like a hmm. mission of the school day or workshop or whatever everybody had to go to. And I was like, this is great. I love that. I don't, you know, I'm not into Catholicism in any way. I'm not into organized religion, but <laughs> I don't have a problem being here. This seems like a pretty loving uh, environment. You know, that's great. Um, 
so I loved the diversity and I loved, yeah. you know, of, of people from different places and also people who were definitely gay and definitely straight and definitely really old school and definitely like totally alternative lifestyle. It was fascinating to be around all that. And it was, um, it all my, my I think what you're asking is like my my approach to it was like yes this is education this is this is a new world I'm experiencing here yeah yes what I what I remember about you and your besides your pants was like was <laughs> was like a really earnest desire to learn and be a part of and you you for me, we weren't, you know, we weren't necessarily friends, but I knew that you were a friendly person and also really, um, you seemed eager and open. And I, I still get that from you. Um, and I think that that is, that's really interesting because that's just, that's not my experience. So how was the training for you? Like, how did you feel the training in classes at the theater school was like, were you like, I got this improv is my jam or like, no. Or, sure. First, yeah. I just want to say thank you. That's very DePaul nice. Like I'm glad you, I came across school. that way. That, that is, that is how I felt. And that's how I feel in general. I'm after being in the theater business for, for this long, I'm way more jaded in some aspects of it um but i am i am eager and i am open um look what what uh his name was john ransford watts was the dean at the time and he gave um yeah he gave some speech on the first day and he was like we're not we're not promising you that we're gonna make you successful but I am promising you that when you leave here, you will have the tools to do what you want to do. And what happens when you leave is up to you, but we're going to give you the tools. And I, I appreciated that as a frame. I needed a frame. And I, I tried to look at everything through that lens. Like this is a part of, this is something I, I may not understand this upfront, but I got to go with it because it's going to become a tool. Um, short story. Yeah, I got I got exactly that. Short story, I accidentally picked the perfect program for myself. Um I I loved 90% I loved 95% of my teachers and um 95% of what I got from those classes. Um <clears throat> my improv teacher was extremely harsh first year um uh at the time was uh all improv and basically no you didn't do you you were doing um you did improv you did voice you did movement and you did not do uh, any kind of performance other than scenes in a classroom and uh Improv was three days a week and it was a long class and he was an extremely harsh teacher teacher and would say really hurtful things to people sometimes. Um, and I had a bristling response to um, his approach um, initially. And I, and I think about it differently now, like the teacher would not exist now. Uh, I, he does exist, but like he wouldn't be able to teach in that way now because people would just sort of, you know, collectively <laughs> report things that he said and he would be instantaneously fired. Um, but, you know, he wasn't he wasn't ever physically abusive, yes. but he was like verbally 
way over the top with people. <clears throat> but there were also times when I would be like, mm-hmm. she's a total fuck up and she's not taking this class seriously and she's wasting our fucking time. And I'm sort of glad you said that to her because what the fuck? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I'm learning from listening to you and listening to other people. And as we do these interviews, it's like there is there the gray area and is so dense. The gray area is like a huge country, you know, and it is sometimes the the a hole or the whatever says the right thing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's helpful. It's so crazy, which I think is what's ho- so hard about yeah. being young and in a school like that is sometimes yeah. you get what you need, right? Some, um, and, But sometimes you don't. Anyway, so I can appreciate that. So, And you, I also you bristled, thought he was you were, you extremely were also funny. Like, yeah. Um, uh, he, he said things that made me laugh really, really hard sometimes. I just didn't expect that he would say funny things. Um, <clears throat> he had a very interesting <laughs> sense of humor. I wanted his approval so badly i wanted him to tell me i was good so badly and i did not think i was any good at this shit i mean it was real weird um those exercises and it as as many of the classes they're not telling you they, they don't give you the frame beforehand to explain what to look for they simply insist that you follow these directions right. and the learning is experiential right. you process it for a short period of time and then you move on and I now really appreciate that. I really appreciate not taking a lot of time beforehand to tell me what I was going to learn and what to watch for. Because you you learn differently in that environment. And that was new to me. And I, I appreciated that. And <clears throat> I also, in retrospect, really appreciate having tried to teach some of this shit. Um, do you, did either of you ever go back and do the um, the, the non-majors, the, the class where we taught non-majors? Okay. No, Buzz teaches the BFAs. Um, so, I teach BFA fours. Um, uh, sometimes the specificity yes. of language that he would use in setting up and giving the focus for the exercises, like that's not easy. And he he was so good at managing time. I also appreciated that. He cares about treating us fairly. He was really hard on her just now, but he cares about treating us fairly, and he. He gives, he's not quick to praise, but gives, mm-hmm. gives it when it's warranted. Um, I love the, the voice stuff was so weird and uh, wonderful. You know, people are crying in class every day. Crazy shit's coming out, like doing vocal jams in Phyllis's class. I will never, never forget that. It was so strange and so oh, cool yeah. to be in a group and completely let go. Also something they probably don't do in class today that, some point she had to stop doing was everybody gives everybody a full body massage for 10 minutes at the top of every class. Just a guess, Jen, did you? Oh, you don't, you think they don't do that anymore? They must not. I don't think they do means I think it's a no touching. It's, it's, it's no. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I always hate the person who says, listen, you know, you can't do anything anymore. But at the same time, I, there is something to be said for just the the way in which, despite the trauma that was inflicted on a lot of people, the way in which we could just cut to the chase and just get to the heart of something and like have to not not have to 
filter it through so many different lenses and just to be yeah. able to say like you're full whatever. of shit you're full of shit i don't believe what you're doing this is bullshit why don't you yeah. go out and like learn figure out who you are yeah. and then come back and, um, you know, something that like was that another, is, like in, in the helpful. first year experience like oh my god she taught us all how to give like the kind of full body massage we're going to give which definitely involves rubbing the butts of the person and that was that was intense um like oh, having it done right. and doing it like ah hey uh, i know we just i'm i'm this is not i'm not enjoying this just <laughs> my hands and, uh is this, is this okay i'm sorry and then and then later later in the year right. being like yes please do that oh my god yes sorry. yes and like the class really like the trust you know some people is less mm-hmm. um Maybe the trust wasn't as strong, but there was a lot of trust that developed. The the fact that you had all the classes with all the same people, like the, what do they call it? The sections, like keeping the sections together like that, just invaluable. Um, And yoga first year, I loved my teacher so much. I loved that it was part of the curriculum. I kept thinking that, like, it's so smart that we're doing this. So smart. Um, The movement classes were amazing. Like Mm -hmm. we had um, Patrice in, in her first year at... Um, the school. She's still one of my favorite teachers. I learned so much from her. Um, and um, Don Oko was a huge favorite. I feel like I'm just running through teachers. Is this horrible? Is this okay? Okay. So Don was one of my no, very favorite teachers. Great. And great. he Your was experience. so fussy. He was so uh, so slow to give compliments and so quick to just fuss and fuss and fuss. And it was so exciting to feel like, I think I figured out what you've been trying to get me to do for the last six months, uh, which I felt like I got to at one point in his class. And it meant so much to me. And I always knew, I don't know, like it took a month it, the first month was like, you just hate everything. You, why are you doing this? You just hate this. You hate us. You hate you. You hate the school. You hate theater. <laughs> what? And it, it took a month before I realized, like, you love it so much. It yeah. really makes you mad to see people suck like this. And you want us to get it. And mm-hmm. you have a limited way of asking yeah. for mm-hmm. what you need here. And it feels like a puzzle to be... I mean, a really hard puzzle to solve. Like, what the fuck are you asking me for? I don't know. And I'd be sitting on the sidelines like, she does not know what you want. Yeah. I I know what she's thinking right now, and she doesn't know what you want. you got to <laughs> ask that differently. She doesn't know what you're saying. I can tell from the way that you behave and, and, and are on this podcast that you're a terrific actor. And I don't know that I've seen you act other than when we were you must see it it really is something (laughs) who are you in um antigone oh yeah oh yeah i was the second guard okay (laughs) oh yes very i remember that second guard did you care there were did you carry sarah chairpar off the stage no that's a different show that's a different show never mind go ahead different show um (laughs) Mike Cannon was the first guard. He had lines. Mike and then, yeah. uh, oh, I haven't said Mike Cannon's name in a long time. I love Mike Cannon. Um, Jim, Com- he was a- Jim, Jim Com, Cam, 
Is that somebody Come. that we knew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, just that name just popped <laughs> in my head. <laughs> just <laughs> like it was I literally hadn't thought it in twenty five years. Yeah. I had to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Sorry, go ahead. He had lines and then the second and third, I don't remember. Oh, I can see his face. Wait a minute. Maybe maybe was Alex Scooby also yes. in that? Yes, he Alex and Tate were in it. TJ, did he go by TJ? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we were guards together. Oh my okay. We probably were. They were guards. I know that for sure. Well, then we were guards together. Yeah. I thought they were, maybe there were four guards total and he, and Mike Cannon was the one who talked. Anyway, we had hardly any lines. I don't know. It was my only experience working with uh, Rick because um, I didn't have Rick for improv. Um, and he said, <laughs> You know, like in the, I remember going into the, like whatever the meeting was about, you know, progress in the show or something like, I can't wait to hear this because I don't fucking do anything in this play. And he said like, you don't, um, you don't make much of an impression (laughs) on the stage. And I, you know, I felt like my job at school was to hear those things and to try not to take them personally mm-hmm. and like really consider like, huh? Okay. Well, why would you, why would you say that? And it, um, Oh, you are mature. Mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest at all that I wasn't also crushed. I, you know, I want him to be like, I think you're probably one of the better actors I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um, but he, he didn't say that. And then he gave me a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, um, hmm. which is a fucking amazing book. And it's so that guy, like he is a, there would have been this way to tell somebody something. And then there's like the way, way around like that. Like he was, his conversations with actors as a director um, were like obtuse is the wrong word. They were, it was like a, it was, you know, like an, he did, he did a lot of astrology and like, like around, not even obtuse. It was like, um, a secret code he was speaking in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I obviously remember him telling me that, um, and that book was a great gift. And, and I, I know what he, now I know exactly what he meant, but also, like, I mean, you literally have me standing uh, up left for the only scene I'm in, and I only have one line, so. How could I make an impression? Do you, How much did you want me to make of an impression? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I, I remember there was lots of smoke and uh, on, in, the, in, that, in that show, and then watching Sosie work was really interesting. Yeah. Um, Sosie Kevorkian, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And you were in Trojan Women and Time of Your Life. I think the, yeah. those were those all your main stage? Yes, except I was also in Landscape of the Body. Um, John was directing that. I, th- I think this is my senior year. And the where my workshop or where my other show had fallen, I was already done when that show happened. So I had basically, a, I was free. And... Um, at some point during the year, I approached John and was like, hey, I, I think I'm free. Can I be in your show? Can I play one of the little roles? And he was like, 
all right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so I played the the drug. I think he was called the drug king of Long Island and a bike messenger. And then there, w- there was a third thing and I'm forgetting what it is now. Uh, but I had like a cool monologue as a bike messenger and uh, like 30 minutes of makeup to get into the drug king of Long Island. Wow. There are pictures of that. It is amazing. Okay. If you, do you have the pictures or are they on the website? Cause I can, I can find it. Uh, like I have a picture of me and Kelly Bernie backstage when I'm in that, um, I'm in that makeup. Yeah. Send um, it to us if you find it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, I've already lost it. What was the name of the other, the Greek show? Trojan Women and uh, Time of Your Life were the other two shows. Trojan Women. um, Do you want to just hear like impressions of these shows? Yes, absolutely. So Trojan Women, I was in it with my best friend and roommate, one one of my best friends and roommate at the time, Amy Farrell. And um, that was, and she's still one of my my best friends. Like, and Leonard was in that as well. Um, It was so fun. And it was such a dark, dark fucking play yeah um i remember i had the line uh don't hate me andromache and running lines with her and it was just like a running joke that i would say don't hate me andromache (laughs) just we would say that we would say lines to each other all the time i mean i i think when i said that to her in the play i was having just returned oh shit oh yeah i had just returned from uh Killing her baby by bashing its head into yes. a wall. Uh-huh, yeah. don't, don't hate me. Oopsie. <laughs> the thing is, Andromache, um, the thing remember is- the, uh, the baby? Uh, yeah, that one. And uh, so what happened is... <laughs> what? <laughs> I accidentally... <laughs> what had happened was... What had um, happened was... Uh, and I do remember... I mean, I have a killer picture of this to show you guys I, it used to be i'm in my daughter's room it used to be on this desk um under the cover i'll find it i'll send you both of these they're great okay. they're amazing there's a picture of all of us covered in blood and mud and dirt just smiling in the curtain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which actually maybe that may be a shot you can see um because that was a john shot but i remember like getting ready to go on stage before that like we would you know put you know, streaks of mud and stuff on us, but I had to put a lot of blood on me. And like, like I would imagine like that, you know, like that it had like wiped oh, across uh-huh. you know, there is like doing a huge mass oh. of blood. I'm rubbing my hand across my chest in a, a really alluring way. If you're listening to this <laughs> with blood, um, with, with blood. Yeah. <clears throat> Wow. Well, well yeah. you're so fascinating that like, our, I, I want to be mindful of our time and I have questions about Showcase and what happened after. So yeah. can you tell me about Showcase? Did you think you were going to like go to LA and maybe you did and become a big star and I just don't know. Yeah, I'm secretly Ed Norton. Ed Norton. extremely <laughs> famous. Um, my, my, I can obviously end whenever you guys want my, my heart out is 1130 in in like 40 minutes. So I'm happy to go, you know, up till then if you guys need. Um, So showcase was, um, we just did Chicago and LA. I think they had done New York and they were doing LA. They hadn't done it that many times yet. And we did it at the, what was, what was then called the Westwood playhouse. 
And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would have loved it if something had happened and I'd, you know, gotten, um, an opportunity out there, um, and would be totally lying if I didn't say like, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Like I, I was kind of, you know, secretly hoping for that, but my mission for myself, when I started this, when I left home and went to school and I was 17 to go to conservatory is I just want to be a working actor and I'm going to be thrilled any year I make my living doing theater. I want to do live theater. That's what I want to do. That's why I went to that program. That program was a really good program for live theater training. That's what I wanted. Um, and therefore, uh, I, I, I had this sort of, it was probably protecting myself against the, the likelihood that you, you ain't going to be on TV, man. That's just not, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. probably protecting mm -hmm. myself against that saying like, that's not what I want. But I was very, I mean, I did follow that in terms of action. Like I yeah. was really only ever pursuing live theater um, <clears throat> hard. Uh, I, had, I had one really, anyway, I'll, I'll go back. So LA, um, I did a monologue that I, that I wrote Don suggested for one audition. I was like, Don, they're, they're asking for like three minute comedic, you know, like, what, what am I going to do? I don't know. And he's like, you're a writer, aren't you? Why don't you write something? And I was like, okay. And I wrote this piece to. Wow. <laughs> um, I did awesome. it out there, but the stupid. What I did was I had a pseudonym and I said, Timothy Andrews wrote it. Um, and I. Why did you pick the most boring possible <laughs> name? Andrews, Andrew is my brother's middle name. And then Timothy, I thought sounded British. Okay. I mean, you're not um, wrong, but. So were people they, like, we love goodness. the piece. We love would have been so hung up on the fact that it was, that you yeah. were also the writer. Thank and, God you made that. You know, in the years immediately now. following me, I heard several people had instant success as writers in Hollywood because they said they wrote their piece, which they did. And it's like, um, Anyway, it, it did very, very well. Like it, it felt really amazing in that showcase. Like I kind of, you know, destroyed the room with it. It was, it was everything you could ever want uh, in terms of how it went. And lots of people wanted to talk to me. And I went to meetings with lots of people and my friends. Thought it, was, it was, it was a fun time. I was out there with my friends, PJ and Siler um, and, uh, and Amy. I mean, the whole class is out there, but you know, we were all hanging out and they were all excited for me that I got to go to these meetings and I still remember kind of what I wore to most of them. And it was just a, an error. I wish someone had 
I wish someone had been like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't wear that. Don't wear that. Uh, but it was, you know, it was what I had and it seemed like a nice thing to wear. I felt fancy in it. Um, but all the meetings were, and sometimes I would, the meeting would be with the person who actually saw me. And other times it would be somebody who worked for that person, but almost all the meetings were like, so when are you coming out here? And I was like, uh, I'm a theater actor in Chicago. Like, but you know, like, what do you want me to do? You know, like I'm here now and I can, you know, I may come out here again. And I, I don't know why I thought those meetings were going to go any differently. And they're like, okay, we'll give us a call when you come out here. And I remember writing postcards to all those people, like with my horrible handwriting, writing postcards and sending them to those people, none of whom interacted with me. Of course, why would you? Um, <clears throat> But in, what are they going to do? Write me a postcard back? Been thinking about you, Kevin. Dear Kevin, we, we we're you. dying for you to move back to LA. We're short, short on actors. actors. Yeah. Um, but I met uh, in Chicago, I met uh, a really good agent, the only good agent I've ever had, um, and spoiled me completely. Um, and he really believed in me and sent me out all the time. I got to go into audition at great theaters and got close on lots of stuff. And you know, some, some TV film stuff and some commercial stuff and got close on some stuff. Um, and then he, uh, one of his, um, one of his actors, uh, well, Leonard was with him and, uh, and I was like, it's really good if I have the same agent as Leonard, that means I have a really good agent. Um, and, uh, and also Judy, uh, -huh. uh now Judy Greer was with him and she came out to LA and he came out to LA with her. So there went my agent. There went the only good agent I've ever had. Every other one was just. I didn't know that. Such a disappointment. Oh my God. None oh. of them were close. He knew us all. Mm. He cared about us all. He got us in when we were supposed to be seen for something. He got us in. Wow. Um, hmm. Yeah. So that was the showcase experience. But it, it, it uh, immediately I was auditioning for. Um, shows at theaters that would have been hard to get into. And um, just, it was a nice way to land in Chicago. So we've heard, we've had Siler and PJ and Nick. So we've heard about sort of the formation of timeline. Were you in it from the very beginning? I was never in it officially in any way. Um, I wasn't asked to. Oh, awkward. And you know, I'm awkward. Totally Wait, cool why that. are you on the it's timeline fine. website? Um, <laughs> Wait, you're on the timeline Yeah, I've directed website. two shows for them, um, but uh, mm. but I'm not I'm oh, not a okay. I'm not in the club. The club was a, like a meeting uh, that Nick had. I swear, I think he actually right. had the first meeting when he and I were fucking roommates. I don't mean we were having sex with each other. I mean that we were we were roommates. I think that's <laughs> when the club started, but I'm but I'm not sure. But also, you were in a picture that somebody sent us about the, the yes. yes, somebody sent us a picture of like all the founding members of Timeline. Are you, you sure that it. was me? Well, I'm we're not wrong, Boz, for being confused. Yeah, I think you're in. I, I think you're in a picture of a timeline situation. Well, I'm I'm yes, photographed with those people a lot because I went to school with them and I know them and I worked there. In 2007 right. and then 2016, I directed shows for them. So, the second get... show they did was a Howard Barker play that I pitched. 
I met Howard Barker. I, I met the writer Howard Barker. I learned about his plays through uh, Bill Burnett at school, and he did this wild play. He was a dialect teacher, and he directed this wild play called "Women Beware Women." Um, and yeah, I oh, thought yeah, the author was really interesting, and became a huge fan of this author. And I was like, PJ, I think this is the show, man. I think this is your next play. And um, they programmed this show, and I really, really wanted to be in it. And there was this amazing lead role. I, th- I think he's called Bella, but I'm not sure. Um, Stephen Davis got that. And then I got cast as a different role in the show, but then I got offered, but the, the day that it was going to start was like, really not sure. Cause we don't have the space yet. Like they auditioned for it before they had a space. <laughs> so it was sort mm-hmm. of unsure. And then I got a definite mm-hmm. offer to do translations um, with Shanaki theater directed by David Cromer, who was, he wasn't David Cromer then, but he was David Cromer. Yeah. David Cromer. Um, he right. was locally like, you, you know what you're really doing and people really like your plays. And I just loved auditioning with him so much. I, it was one of those like long audition processes. And I was so excited. I was like, PJ, I'm sorry. I can't do the show. I got to do this translations thing. Oh, okay. So, I mean, to be fair to Timeline, you turned them down. When there was no start date? <laughs> well, I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm saying it's not its not as if you were always pining to be in their shows and they, they wouldn't have no. you. You're a big wig. Yeah. It was yeah, a club a I deal. always wanted to be in and was, you know, sad not to be in. But it was an interesting, um, you know, Nick... Nick brought those people together to do particular things. And um, uh, it was just an interesting journey being friends with both those guys as they were um, and, and Juliet as well. And, and Laura who later was part of it. Um, like, I'm so happy for you guys. I wish I could be in the, in the car with you for this. Um, but I, you know, always remain mm-hmm. really happy for their success and um, really proud of the shows that I did there. Yeah. And it's, it's mm-hmm. still going. I mean, there's, there's yeah. still hope for next season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so these days you are, what are you working on these um, days? So yeah. the, uh, the podcast started before, like the idea for it was, um, um, I guess I was sort of thinking about it as I was going through the process of the Edinburgh thing, like that, that, the the writing and workshopping and performing of that show was kind of uh, like nine months of my life. And I started working on the podcast pretty soon after I got back. I wanted to make that a thing. And um, the pandemic happened, started after I think I'd gotten like two episodes in. Um, so I kept doing that for a while. And, um, and then like less than a month after the pandemic um, started. I, I don't know if you guys had heard about that. Do you know there was a pandemic? Oh, oh. something. I'll, I heard I'll it send on you the a news. Link. Yeah, there's, oh, yeah. there's an article about it. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks. And cool. Thanks. Uh, I, I learned, uh, I think that, that what we should have been using in um, Guantanamo and other uh prisons and black site prisons around the world the whole time was just plays on zoom. We didn't need 
<laughs> we didn't need any of these physical torture tactics. We just needed plays. We on just Zoom. needed to say, "I'm not turning it off until you preach. tell us." Preach Where that. Is it? Preach. Yes. Absolutely. Just have to keep watching. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is a workshop <laughs> of a new play. Oh. Um, yeah. Even better. That's straight to the <laughs> Wi-Fi. Exactly. So. <laughs> um, and uh, she has a microphone that is rubbing against her hair, and his is rubbing against his beard. <clears throat> and that one yeah. has a newborn yeah. who only cries yeah. when she has her so, lines. Yeah. Um, I had <laughs> I had the idea like I wanted to. I've been. Um, I had an idea of how I wanted to try to. Which was to takes over whoever's talking it says the name of whoever's talking and i was like oh well then the visual element could just be the character so when i start talking it says torvald and so if my grandmother wants to watch this she'll be like oh i guess it's torvald because that's his name oh that's nora and torvald nora so i thought that'll be the only <laughs> mm-hmm. part of the visual element and we'll do these completely live and so i used um uh I use connections with uh, composers who'd written music for shows that I'd done. And I'd done a lot of audio editing um, for the podcast to be able to make my own sort of sound gestures if I was going to have any. Um, And did these shows where I worked primarily with people that I directed before or who had been in. I did a lot of Shaw concert readings with Shaw Chicago over the years people who had done that, mm-hmm. who were really used to, yeah, but it's really just your voice. Um, and to, to kind of make it easier. And I would adapt these plays. And I was doing primarily public domain stuff, adapt them to be clear, but otherwise not change the writing and not edit it for time. Misalliance we did in three different nights. And the first act of it was like fucking 80 minutes. It was long. Um, but it was really fun to try to achieve wow. at a really high level. We would do very, it was like minimum rehearsals, maximum fun. I'm stacking the deck. We all know what we're doing and we're going to, something great's going to happen if we do this live. And, um, so I started, I think I've done 10 or maybe 12 of those now. Um, some Shaw one Shakespeare, which was fucking great. Like we did a, a midsummer that had like a really beautiful music passage in it where I had, recorded music that there were like the fairies were talking over the recorded music. So great. The cast was amazing. Um, And then some newer plays. And then I started working with a theater um, Peninsula players where I've directed and where my uh, wife, Erica has been an actor for a long time. 
and they were outreach shows for them. Like we're creating content that's free for you to watch just to keep the doors of the community open basically. So we created some shows mm -hmm. together with them. And um, right. one of my favorite actors who I saw all the time at Shakespeare rep on Dearborn when I was in school named Greg Vinkler. Um, he's one of, one of the best Shakespeare actors in the, in the country. And one of my favorite actors, I've always enjoyed seeing him. He's been in every single one of these. Um, yeah. And he, he oh, kind of dug awesome. the live aspect of it um, in the same way that I did. And he also had a, uh, a preference for this format. Greg's very positive. So I'll say he had a preference for this format over others. Um, and, uh, and I, so then it started to be like, I just want to <laughs> do shows where I get to like hear Greg do something crazy and different. And I love, you know, having him do multiple characters or like mm -hmm. somebody from an unusual place or whatever. And then I started writing, um, like as a gift to the actors, I would write a curtain call, um, like kind of like a sports caster narrate what happens in the curtain call, um, in, uh, Kind of a fun way, and I got really, you know, one of them was at least seven or eight minutes long. It's pretty intense. Um, uh, and then for each one, I got away from curtain calls and just sort of like writing a little bit of bookending the world. Like, where are we when we're doing this live thing? Um, trying to sort of embrace the idea that people are listening to us, and where where are you, and where are we now? And so I write stuff um, that's on either side. So that's the biggest creative thing I've been doing. And of course I'm workshopping a couple different shows for the West end, but I didn't think I should talk about that. Where can people find you? Oh, so, um, how the fuck do you do that? You, um, I used to, I used to know, like, what do I tell people to search? Um, you can just search how the F do you do that or search. But isn't it also on your website? Yes. <laughs> I'm not good at promoting myself. Kevin Christopher, Kevin Christopher Fox.com has links okay. to the podcast. It has um, links to uh, Chicago radio theater is the name that I use for um, the radio shows. That's also on Facebook though. We're kind of moving away from that, uh, but the website has all that stuff. And then um, I've also written, um, there's my one person play and then there's, um, an ensemble comedy called game night, 2017, a period piece, uh, that I co-wrote with my wife. And, um, uh, I wrote an adaptation of murders in the room org by Poe. That's a four person adaptation. Um, oh, and all those cool. are on, um, the new play exchange. And after I get off of this podcast recording, I'm going to put a link to that. Why is there not a link to that on my fucking website? Uh, I mean, yeah. there will be. We yeah, get it. they're all really good, and I'm really proud of them. I can't wait for them to be done uh, in front of humans. Woohoo! Oh, but there will be. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!